Oh my God, I'm chilling. What happened? Oh my God. Oh, I just can't. What? Part three. Ready to do this. Here we go, fam. You know what song I inappropriately have in my head? Well, what? Let me just start by saying, God, I don't know if I want to know. I inappropriately have Rape Me by Nirvana oh. stuck in my head. Oh, Lord. All morning. And if you could just see me now, if you're not watching YouTube, I'm wearing a blue pinstripe white dress. <laughs> like I have, a, I have a soft curl and I look very nautical. So here <laughs> I am dropping my uh, toddler off at daycare and in my head, I'm rape me. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's come on several rape times, me, actually, because I listen friend. on cereal. I'm not the only oh one. <laughs> but it is. I've um, had it all day. On Sirius XM, as we know, 99% of the time I'm listening to Lithium. And mm -hmm. that song has come on several times on the way to daycare. And a whole different song will be on. And Charlie will, like, repeat a word. Oh, man. And I'll be like, oh, I should turn that down. And then that came on. And I'm like, oh, I should just straight change this. <laughs> He's going to go to school saying that? I don't Rape think so. Me. I know. It reminds me of on the Today Show once, Jenna... Bush and Carson Daly were talking about like just growing up and obviously she was a teenager like in the White House and she said she was she was like I can't I guess with licensing but I'm like you you wouldn't sing it you couldn't say the name she wouldn't say the name of what it was she was like I was listening to a very popular band at the time but they had a very well, I think they would say Nirvana yeah I was about to say I think you've told me this and yeah. surely they said Nirvana yeah they said I was listening to Nirvana and they had one song that was pretty popular I'm not gonna say which one and I was listening to it and my dad came in took the CD out of the player and snapped <laughs> it in half and Carson was like I bet I can guess what song she was like yeah and he was like RM she was like yep yep um well I saw on Instagram Dave Grohl it looked recent because he, he's he looks old, <laughs> but he's um, playing the drums to Smells Like Teen Spirit and you can see him get emotional. So I was trying to look at when I was like, when was this? And looking and since then, my Instagram has just been flooded with old Nirvana and he sang Rape Me uh, on SNL live. So I'm like, couldn't do that now. That's for sure. Oh, my God, they did. Yeah. Yikes. It was like banned from radios. Yeah. Um, anyway, Dave... that's been stuck in my head all day. All right. So this is part three of the Natalie Holloway series. Um, I'm taking over from here on out pretty much. This is Rachel. Hey, real quick. Patreon shout outs. Cecilia, Ben, Jamie. Hi. Thanks for joining. Thank y'all. Y'all kick ass. <laughs> you rule the school. You rock. Too cool to be forgotten. When we left off in part two, it was early 2007, and after several hopeful leads that resulted in nothing, Natalie's mom, Beth, is starting to come to terms that it's really not looking good that they'll find her. She and her husband, Judd, got divorced, and they moved out of Natalie's childhood home. Childhood meaning since she moved to Birmingham in eighth grade. You know. Yeah. At this point, we're in 2007, and infuriatingly, Yorana's now at college in the Netherlands, which is where Natalie should be at this point, but that piece of shit took that opportunity away from her. Yep. Again, one more time for the people in the back. If you're looking for objective journalism, this ain't it. Not with this story. That's for damn sure. Move along. I know. But I think everyone's in the same boat on this I one. Mean, for real. Come on. Give me a break. Not John Ludwig. You'll see. You'll see. While there, while in the Netherlands, he started working with a reporter to write a book about Natalie and the whole case. He loves the attention and obviously wants to capitalize on it. It was released on April 1st, 2007, but unfortunately it was no April Fool's joke. Oh. In the introduction, he wrote, I see this book as my opportunity to be open and honest about everything that happened for anyone who wants to read it. Why start now? Jacking off hand motion. <laughs> we both. Both. Just a big jack off. Shut up. Shut your mouth. But good news, apparently no one did want to read it because Gosh. Jossie Mansour, the editor of a Rubem newspaper, Dario, Dario, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
said that the reaction to it was mostly negative and the publisher refused to release sales numbers, which is <laughs> hilarious. It didn't make a penny. Right. Well, it's, and it's one of those things you're going to get sued in civil court. You're on all that money you would have made would have gone to Beth and her family anyway. I'm sure. Yeah. But but nice try. Such a good try. Thank you so much. A few weeks later on April 27th, after the book was released, a Dutch forensic team of about 20 people dug up the outside of Joran's parents' house and did a search of the Kalpo's house. They didn't say exactly what prompted the search, only that they had, I'm doing quotes, indications that justified a more thorough search. Like they lied and, to the police 150 times and right. but won't tell they her They also that. said it had nothing to do with the book. They're like, lol. No, we didn't read that. We gave it to our Trash. toddlers to practice the easy words. Coloring. <laughs> yeah. In late 2007, 34-year-old Patrick Vanderim met Yaron at a casino in Holland. He knew who he was instantly because he was a big follower of the Natalie case. And like most of us, he hated Yaron. He thought he soiled Aruba's name, disgraced all the people of Aruba, just gave everyone a bad name. So he was like, I hate this guy. Mm-hmm. He actually said when he saw him that night, he thought, I will finish him. I <gasps> love that. So he walked up to him and said, hey, murderer, and Papiamento, which, again, is the official language of Aruba. So this got Yaron's attention. He, yeah. People in Holland don't speak Papiamento. They're like, yeah. so he was like, dope, a homie. Patrick then goes and smokes a cigarette, and Yaron follows him like a little puppy dog. I'm sure he does. He's so easy. It's so like, easy. Hard and what to get. Well-played Patrick. Yeah, I don't remember that part, but well played. They started talking about smoking weed and poker and Patrick thought game on and decided then and there kind of impromptu that he was going to do a sting operation on Euron. He was going to befriend him, gain his trust and then get him to confess what happened to Natalie. Patrick, Patrick. Patrick was a convicted drug dealer. And although he was older than Euron, he's 34. He was very much in that nightlife scene. So like it was easy to spark up a fake friendship. Yeah. Over the next couple of months, he and Yaron were pretty much inseparable. The article said he started gain- gaining Yaron's trust one joint at a time, which I thought was kind of funny. <laughs> I like that. Uh-huh. They smoked weed together every day, partied together, played poker. Patrick would do cocaine in front of him, which probably gains trust. Totally. I can see that. Yeah, he's they, got secrets. Yeah. yeah, Patrick's got secrets. Euron's got secrets. He's like, I could trust this guy. Mm-hmm. As soon as he felt like he absolutely had Euron's trust, he went to investigative journalist and crime reporter Peter DeVries, who we mentioned in the last episode. He's famous in the Netherlands, especially for his work on cold cases. It's he good. has a show that's the equivalent of America's Most Wanted in the States. Yeah. So he's very like. well known. He's like yeah. the um, John Walsh of the mm-hmm. Netherlands. Yeah. Patrick told Peter what he had been working on and asked him if he wanted in on this because he was confident Yaron was going to tell him the truth. Oh, my God. And Peter's Peter moved. Oh, my. <laughs> he was. I was, right. I was like, oh, oh my God. God. I bet he got so excited. He was like, like yep. hell yes. So obviously, yes. And he set Patrick up with a brand new Range Rover equipped with three hidden cameras, audio recording devices, GPS tracking, all of it. The plan was Patrick was going to get Yaron to tell him what happened while they were driving around. And then obviously they're going to take it to the police and then televise it on Peter's show for the whole world to see. Three days before the big day, Yaron was arrested again and brought to Aruba. They're like, damn it. On November 21st, 2007, Yaron the Calpo brothers were rearrested and charged with involvement in the voluntary manslaughter of Natalie or causing causing serious bodily harm to Natalie, resulting in her death. They said this came as a result of new incriminating evidence. They, of course, don't say exactly what the evidence is, but said only that the new evidence, together with the existing evidence in the case, produced serious grounds for suspicion of some kind of aiding and embedding of covering up the traces of a crime committed or of disposing of a corpse. Duh. We knew that two years ago. I'm thinking they found something during that April search when they randomly just dug up your your Euron's yard and started searching the house again. Well, it might tie back to when they asked the prosecutor what brand of flip-flops Natalie was wearing. They all got a little like, hmm, why? And they all thought that maybe they found Euron's, I mean, Natalie's rainbows in Euron's house 
but then before you knew it four hours after asking what brand that was they were released so they're like well it kind of got buried a lot of things just kind of got buried and going through this entire case again 18 years later and from like this lens a we read a lot and watch a lot of true crime but b seeing it in order like this and hearing about it i'm like i have a whole new theory oh you want to well, I'm, I kind of get into it now. So, but before I get to that, under a Reuben law, people accused of aiding, embedding, covering up don't have to stay in jail until trial. So the Calpos are released on December 1st. The judge is like, Yaron, you're staying. However, a week later on December 7th, Yaron was also released because there was no evidence that Natalie died from a violent crime or that Yaron would be involved in such a crime. I'm um, like, well, wait, <laughs> sorry, something, something got them arrested. Right. Here's what I'm thinking happened. I'll be honest. They found something in one of the searches, a flip-flop, yeah. a hair, a bone, a something. Mm-hmm. Maybe didn't take the time to test it, arrested them immediately. They're like, this is something. Then Paulus goes in there and is like, no, no, y'all didn't find anything. Y'all can't prove that that has anything to do with her, whether it be a shirt. That could be anyone's shirt, it, right. whatever. Mm-hmm. And then because of either a payout or blackmail, I'm, there's corruption everywhere. Mm-hmm. Paulus was like, you're dropping the charges. And they're like, okay. And the, and whatever you found is never, ever going to be released. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I'm sure there's a bunch of that. The former chief of police was your uh, Paulus's best friend, Euron's godfather. Come on. No, well, right, but... I think back then I always thought because they're so on this no body, no crime mm-hmm. in Aruba, lying to the police doesn't mean shit. All of it's... Well, it kind of does Right. That, no, I, I'm saying that. I think they just use that in their favor because he, this kid was so good at hiding a body. They haven't found a thing. I'm like, no, y'all did find y'all stuff. Found, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whether even... I'm like, I don't even trust if their forensic team tested it. How does... That could be Paulus's brother for all i know and he's like no it was negative right wink wink and he's like that's true it was negative oops i just dropped it in a fire right all of this i'm like y'all this is insane so they keep getting i mean so yet again they're arrested and re-released because of lack of evidence even though something got them arrested we don't know it's well i think in aruba you're arrested when questioned so that's why like it kind of doesn't mean anything when you're arrested 12 people were arrested in that first year Meaning they were questioned. And charged? I mean, it's just Char- crazy. Yeah, no, not charged with aiding and abetting. Yeah. Literally, you, they rereading all these articles, there are corrections that are like, it, we accidentally said that no one has been charged in Natalie's case. No one's been convicted in Natalie's case. They've right. been charged. He yeah, was, yeah, yeah. You know, it's so... Well, I think it just got so much heat in the first couple years that when they did find something, which obviously, I think they did too, obviously. That they're like, we can't, we're not saying, we're not solving this now. We're in too far deep. We just got to keep, keep going. Like, I yeah. don't know. I, know. I, I don't want this. They don't want this crime solved, which we will find out a little bit more in John Ludwig's section. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I yeah. think I, maybe I, I just say it, but I'm like, yeah, they, I think, the, I think the people, authorities, or at least back then, Chief Vander Stratton, knows exactly what happens at what happened. Yeah. I, I think I just forgot how many searches they did mm-hmm. that led to almost something and then just was nothing. And right. now back then I'm like, damn, maybe that's just being naive. Now I'm like, bullshit. Right. Because back then I'm like, remember when we'd always be like, if this were in the US, none of this would be happening, which I still believe. But in my mind then I'm like, there's literally no corruption in any sort of, authority government position police anywhere like only here is this happening and now i'm like oh well that i think i was just naive yeah oh right everyone was remember in college when we we're like well there's when people would ask what people's theories are or what we think happened and there's a point where i thought maybe sold into sex slavery and a girl in our sorority said that's illegal what yeah i was like uh things that's so on brand. <laughs> um, I know. I was like, yeah, not as big of a deal. Not, people don't care about the law. 
about that? And I was like, God, everyone's in a damn bubble here. Uh, that like shakes me to my core. <laughs> <gasps> it is. Call someone. Tell them. When does Paulus die again? Oh, we are so close. Oh, thank God. Okay. So close. So anyway, there you go. That Those are just some sidebar thoughts. Sorry. Tangent. But this is essentially the last we really hear about the Calpos. They're released and bye-bye. I know. This release works in Patrick and Peter's favor, though, because the sting operation is back on. Right. Oh, um, yeah. Jan- it's going to be like, what happened there? <laughs> it, I bet it makes this transition easier for Patrick. Yeah, for it's sure. It's very current. Because there was a point right when Patrick, he started telling Patrick off camera, and he was like, I don't want to hear about this. I remember that so well. It happened. Yeah. Where he's like, I, no, 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 I don't want to hear about this. Because he's like, shit, don't tell me now. We're like, in well, the privacy of my apartment. Wait till we get in the car. That's how a lot of, that's a lot of the way Patrick started building the tr- the trust. Because it would start coming up and he'd be like, tell me nothing. He like right. acted very uninterested. Again, hard to get. Patrick, you're genius. Yeah. Euron's like a putty in his hands. He's like, but I want to tell you. I want you to think I'm cool. I killed an innocent girl who's half my size and asleep. Right. On January 11th, 2008, Peter DeVries and Euron, as well as Euron's parents, were all guests on a Dutch late night talk show. During the show, Peter challenged Euron's story about Natalie and questioned his honesty. He was like, you're a piece of shit. Yeah. This was in the middle of the sting that he has no idea that Peter's about. Yeah. The sting is on behind the scenes. Euron has no idea. Yeah, Euron is none the wiser, and Peter is, like, working on the sting operation. So they're all on this guest talk, late-night talk show. Peter's going at, kind of questioning them, going at them a little bit. They're not, like, screaming at each other. But when the conversation's over, Euron was getting up to leave and throws red wine in Peter's face. Yeah. Such a little punk. Punk Punk-ass little bitch. He later apologizes to Peter, and Peter's like, don't worry about it, you'll bitch, your day's coming. (laughs) <laughs> and that day is february 3rd 2008 a couple weeks later red one in the face hidden cameras in the car february 3rd 2008 the undercover footage is aired on sbs6 which is a dutch tv station for an audience of 7 million people abc news bought the u.s rights to the videos and aired it the next night on a special edition of 2020 called the final hours of natalie holloway This footage is harder to find than you think. It happens over several days. Yeah. It's hours of footage. And on YouTube, a lot of people post little clips of it, which that's easy to find. But it's in Dutch. And then some of the captions are loosely translated. The the general stuff is all the same. But like, I I was scared. I almost read, literally like wanted to read line by line. But I'm like, it's all loosely translated. Anyway. And I don't know if ABC News took that special edition down. I couldn't find it streaming. I'm like, where? I would think it would be the first thing on YouTube. A lot of that, like Dr. Phil's full episode was like that. And uh, the original Peter DeVries interview with Beth, where he releases everything that he he found in his own investigation. It's all very, yeah, they're hard to find. Yeah, really hard to find. In the footage, Yaron and Patrick are driving around his new Range Rover, smoking a joint. Again, it's over the course of several days, and Euron slowly starts to talk about the case, which, again, the rearrest probably made it easy because it's like, yeah. glad that's behind you. Right. He starts by saying, I know what happened to that girl and that he'll never be nailed for this. Patrick says, she's dead, isn't she? Euron says, of course. Then he says he's incredibly lucky that she's never been found because if they found that girl, I'd be in deep shit. Then he tells Patrick what happened. They were hooking up on the beach, and all of a sudden she started shaking possibly having a seizure, and then stopped moving. Patrick asked if he tried to resuscitate her, and he said, of course, he tried everything. He, quote, was shaking the bitch, and then goes on to say, why does this shit have to happen to me? Oh, my God. I just rolled my eyes 15 times. God. He's such a piece of shit. After that, she stopped moving, and he panicked, so he went to call his friend with the boat to come help him. Father, let's face that. You're not calling a friend. Girl. Patrick's like, how do you even know that she was dead? And he said he just knew. So his friend with the boat came, and after they put her on the boat, he told Euron to go home and that he'd take it from here. Euron got home about 2.30 or 3 a.m., and the friend came to his house later that morning and said he dumped her body in the ocean. 
He doesn't know exactly where, but he knows she'll never be found. Hell of a friend you have there. I know. In case he didn't look bad enough, he then tells Patrick that he didn't lose an ounce of sleep over it. Not surprising now that we know what we know, but... Yeah. Cool. Right. Good for you. You're big and strong. He won't tell Patrick the friend's name with the boat. He says he's going to take it to the grave. But then a few days later, they're talking about it again, and he slips up and calls him Dowry. Like an idiot. Daddy. (laughs) He meant to say daddy. (laughs) I mean, honestly... No, oh my God. How about you just go home, get your rest. I'll take it from here. Like not one friend is going to do that. Even a criminal friend. And like the a person, father will do that. Well, and the person trusting this friend would never, I don't, I would think would never be like, oh, okay, good. Thanks. Right. You're going to see it through. You're in trouble. You're scared. Yeah. Right. Get the hell out of here. Right. But then again, he's like void of thought. Like He's void of any rational and definitely emotional thinking. So he's probably like, cool, peace. Right. But again. So after he says dowry, it's very easy to figure out that he was talking about dowry Rodriguez. Who the elf is that? Yeah, I was about to say, I don't remember him at all. He was born in Colombia. And when he was a kid, his mom married an Aruba man. So they moved to Aruba. He and Yaron knew each other and played soccer on the same team when they were like 16. And dowry said they were acquaintances, but he would never call them friends. In 2004, he moved to Rotterdam, Holland, for trade school and Mm -hmm. only came back to Aruba in December 2005 for vacation. When Yaron dropped this bombshell implicating him, he lawyered up and did his own interview with ABC News. He said he's never owned a boat, and he provided investigators with the name of his trade school and his employer during May 2005 to prove that he was not in Aruba during that time. He also had ATM charges to prove that he was in Holland. Very easy. Dowry, you know what? You didn't even need all that. I didn't believe it for a second. (laughs) Right. So nothing comes from him at all. Yeah. The Range Rover tapes are obviously damning, and Aruba's public prosecutor, Hans Moss, asked the judge to reopen the case and issue a third arrest warrant for Yaron. The judge granted the request to open the case again, but not the arrest warrant. He said since he's already been arrested and released twice, the bar for a third arrest is going to be very high. Which is so annoying. A confession seems like the highest possible bar. No, confessing doesn't get you arrested in Aruba. They need physical evidence that you're not lying. Yeah, lying gets you arrested. That's what I mean. It's just so fucking confusing. At this point, Yaron and his lawyers tell authorities he was lying to Patrick. He was high. Patrick wanted a good story. He gave it to him. Yada, yada, yada. And he goes back to one of his original stories, which was... They hooked up. He left her on the beach. She wanted to say he wanted to leave. He, they said their goodbyes, and she was fine when he left. That I remember. The um, they were smoking marijuana. He was under the influence. He can't be held accountable. I'm like, hey, homie, that's legal in Amsterdam. Sorry, it's like a cigarette over there. Uh, that was one thing I was surprised to learn, especially going through the Peru stuff. And a lot of these places we've discussed that does work in your favor. If you're under the influence, you get some leniency. It's crazy. If you're commit a felony under the influence, you get a little leniency. It's crazy. Uh, Wait, that's, that's something we get to in the Stephanie case. Crazy. Okay. So that's probably why that was a hot. If I rob a bank and I'm high, you're like, Oh, sorry. I was on cocaine. They're like, like, "Mm, okay. We'll play into that when we're thinking about your sentence. (laughs) Interesting. Okay. That's when I, this sting operation, that's when I was like, I think that's what happened. That's when I lost hope. Me too. Okay. I remember being like, that's it. That's what really happened. I don't care that he said he lied, all of that. Mm -hmm. And authorities have disregarded that. I have not. That's what happened. But then again, just rereading so much about this all at once in order, some insane stat and the article actually said 90%. That's there's no way that's true. But uh, uh, most of people who drown in Aruba end up washing ashore in Venezuela, which is like 15 miles. Mm -hmm. The translation to this said that he took her less than one mile out from shore. I just don't think of all the people who usually wash up on shore, whether Aruba or Venezuela, why did she not when they've done sonar of all the ocean floor the fishing cage that they found that uh-huh. time like yeah 
yes, something could be weighing her down, but they've looked. I just, I, I mean, the ocean's a big place. Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe yeah. it's true. But I said, that's when I lost hope. That's, that was the last, like, that's what I thought happened back then. I've since, um, my thought process has evolved a little bit more since then. But at the time, that's what I thought happened. And Same. I, yeah. Same. And again, not that we're talking about a rational person, but if you weren't in the middle of committing a crime when she had a seizure and died, go call an ambulance. You didn't do anything wrong. What's wrong? Right. He doesn't think like that. But like, unless you were in the middle of committing a crime, you don't want to be in trouble for, why would you not just go get someone? It's so weird. No, I know. Even if you did call your dad, who is the respectable judge, why would he not say, you're fine. We got to take her to a hospital. Because he gave her something. Exactly. That's, or was in the middle of, I don't know. Which, again, from what I've read, it's pretty decriminalized down there. So even then, I'm like, blame the bar. You paid them 20 bucks to put something in her drink. Yeah. They put too much. Done. Your dad's a judge. He knows how to segregate that shit. So all that went down February 2008. The arrest bar is set high, but the case is reopened. They're like, this is pretty damning. So in March 2008... Patrick was giving an interview on an Aruban TV station, and after the interview, he thought the cameras were off and started getting chatty with the host, who was John Anthony Castro. Mm-hmm. I don't remember this. Okay. I know. He's recorded saying that he and Yaron have been friends for years. He knows who actually dumped Natalie in the ocean, and Yaron paid him $2,000 to keep that information secret. He then says that he expects to be a millionaire after all this, and he's going to see to it that Yaron and his family fall on their face. Wow. This is vastly different than the whole sting operation premise. He had never met Yaron. Now he's saying they've been good friends for years. Oh, right. He knows the real story, the story in the Range Rover dowry. He, he knew that was a lie. He knows who's the right person. All of this, very mm-hmm. bad for Patrick. This is probably why it's not on ABC or you can't find it. Probably got pulled. Yeah. When he, when Patrick found out that the cameras were still on and he was not made aware, he was furious. He called John Anthony and threatened him. That's the host. And in December, 2010, John Anthony was shot and killed outside (gasps) of his home. Police couldn't find any evidence to link Patrick to it. And the case has never been solved. (gasps) Isn't that insane? I do not remember that. I know a lot of people who were involved in this have died. Yes. But I'm like, I don't remember that guy. I don't remember. Ooh, that is shady as shit. Isn't that crazy? A couple months after that interview in June 2008, Patrick released a book called Overboard, How I Got Your Ron Vandersloot to Talk. This is four (laughs) months after this whole thing aired. Oh, my God. It became a bestseller in the Netherlands. (gasps) <gasps> and Euron's book tank flopped. <laughs> so while he did get some money from this whole thing, Patrick racked up a lengthy arrest record in the coming years. He was arrested for attacking his girlfriend with a crowbar. Oh, Jesus. Um, he was only sentenced to 30 hours of community service for that. I can't. No. Uh, he refused to pay a hotel bill. He had possession of cocaine, burglary. Like he just, he ends up doing a year in prison, but has been pretty much off the radar since. God, what got him a year in prison of a crowbar attack? (laughs) I actually cut this part because I thought it was too much, but ram raiding, which is where you commit burglary by driving a car through the doors of a storefront. Oh, yikes. In 2009, he was on the American TV show Homeland Security USA, season one, episode five, if you're interested. Um, And he's refused entry into the U.S. because of his criminal past. Just saying. Okay. Anyway, by the end of 2008, other tips have come in from witnesses saying they saw Yaron and his dad, Paulus, at the pond late at night. That had already come through about like a Calpo brother and Yaron at the pond late yeah, at night. By the gardener, yeah. Yeah. Um, that was the night Natalie went missing. Someone said that drug lords had her body in Nicaragua. They thought they found a skull in the ocean at the bottom of the ocean. Nothing came from any of these. That was a skull. You've seen that picture? That is something. And that's what I mean. All these sketchy things where I'm like, can we test these things, please? Yes. These are someone. Yeah. They did determine that the Range Rover footage would be admissible in court. 
but the evidence still wasn't sufficient enough to arrest him again. So they're like, if you can get him to court, you can use it, but <laughs> have fun trying to get him to court. Right. Their perception of time when it comes to this possible murder is so weird to me. Right. When he was arrested the second time in 2007, his mom came forward and said something like, it's, it's ridiculous. We're still doing this over two years later. Like murder has no statute. Me? Two years. Right. Like someone's kid was murdered and you're, you're inconvenienced that we're still having to deal with it over two years later when your lying piece of shit son was the last one to be seen with her. And husband, you twat. I, my t text literally says, we'll be doing this in 50 if that's what it takes, you twat. Rage, identical <sighs> twin moment. That was my next line. Calling middle-aged women twats. <laughs> Since 1987. <laughs> that's what it's about. Since 2005, really. Yeah. All bets are off. Mm -hmm. So he is escaping charges. He, I mean... He's got nothing. He confessed and then said he was kidding. And they're like, uh, okay. Oh, so he's he, kidding. He moves to Bangkok, Thailand. Mm, my God, I forgot about that. But now I remember and there's like, a, there's cameras. There's footage okay. of this. Yep. Okay. Tell me so, all about it. Should I go on? Yeah. yeah or do yeah, you yeah. just want to keep doing that? I do. I do. Keep going. When he moves there, Peter DeVries caught wind that more sketchy behavior from Iran was happening. And he started working on yet another sting operation. He's on a mission. Uh, yeah. Like, Listen. Good for him. When Iran moved to Thailand, Peter hired men to be befriend him, saying that they wanted to bring Thai women to the Netherlands. I don't know how this was set up, but these friends, I'm doing quotes, and Yaron were emailing each other for several months. And in those emails, Yaron explained to him how the women would be told they're getting visas to go work as models in the Netherlands, but they would actually be working as sex workers, full on human trafficking. So the friends, equipped with hidden cameras, go to meet Yaron in a hotel in Bangkok. Yaron shows up to that meeting with two young Thai women and tells the men that he can arrange passports and visas, then accepts $1,000 as an advance for the women. Again, oh full on human trafficking. You're just spiraling, Euron. Peter yeah. learned that Euron had allegedly been making $13,000 for each girl he sold. <gasps> there were some. Peter televised uh -huh. the videos in November 2008. He confronts Euron about it, and Euron gets pissed, denies any wrongdoing, threatens him, and then thanks him for the $1,000. <gasps> He's a piece of shit. You're, you're the common denominator. You can't not be involved in every single one of these things. It just oh. doesn't work. Right. Thai authorities got the transcripts from those tapes and they start an investigation. I mean, they are on it, but you're on bolts. Of course. And just real quick, in July 2021, Peter DeVries was leaving a TV station in Amsterdam and was shot five times. Murdered. Died nine days later. Two men were arrested, not associated with this case at all. Um, trial's not until early 2024, but just putting that in there because that's pretty much the last we hear about Peter. But sad. He so did a great sad. job. He did a great job. Great and yet job. another person involved in this. Pro I mean, likely not related because I'm sure with his line of work, he pissed a lot of people off. He's an yeah. investigative reporter. But it is just God, one thing after the it's other. Crazy. But for your own, like you're he's his face is well known. He's a big nasty gorilla who <laughs> he's a big ogre he's a big ogre that everyone can recognize at this point can we get interpol on this shit like fine he, leave talian we'll get you oh interpol gets in there girl oh, i know that they do so you're on left talian while authorities are looking into his participation in a sex trafficking gang and over the next couple of months and even years it just becomes clear how much he loved this notoriety uh-huh as if we did not know that before. It's right. ironic that his mom stressed her inconvenience over the two years after Natalie were still doing this investigation thing. Because the second the spotlight is off of him for a minute, he's chomping at the bit to do an interview. Right. Right after this, he goes on Greta Van Susteren. He approaches them. He says he took, her, took Natalie. He's finally ready to come clean. Thank yeah. God. <laughs> Thank God. He took Natalie to Venezuela, sold her into sex slavery. By the way, while a Italian investigation into sex trafficking is happening, he loves this. It's crazy. He just loves to string people along. He loves to string everyone along. And he thinks that he's like this little 
puppet master. He's in a red shirt. That interview, he's in a little maroon button down. Yeah, I remember this one. So this gets so bizarre. Then he says, when two cops figured it out, he sold her. He took her to Venezuela and sold her. Two cops figured it out. And his dad paid them off. He even played a cell a, a phone call on a cell phone between he and his dad where they're talking about it. And it's clear, like, Paulus is in the know. He knows exactly <sighs> what he's talking about. But after analyzing that recording, a Dutch newspaper claims that the person on the other end of the call is not Paulus Vandersloot. It's Jaron speaking in a lower tone. What? What the fuck are you doing? Wait, he is- so he, hold on. What does he say in the call and what is the fake Paulus say back? They're just, I, don't, I can't remember if I couldn't find this one or okay. I just didn't watch it. Paulus it's a is alive at this point. I, yeah, he's about to die. Literally two sentences. <laughs> okay, great. So it's just a conversation about the sex trafficking, selling her in Venezuela and um, Paulus paying off the cops. And Paulus is totally in the know. He's not saying, what are you talking about? Do we think it was actually Paulus or was it actually your own? Maybe that was his strategy. Maybe Paulus like, pull these people through the ringer so you lose all credibility. And then you could, you could tell the truth all you want. No one's going to believe you. Oh yeah. I for sure think that's, I mean, this is maddening. Just keep saying, hey, look over here. Just kidding. Right. I'll, I'll let you know next time. Yeah. Over here. Just, he just kidding. Loves fucking with people's emotions. Um, no, this this newspaper is pretty adamant that it's Euron having a conversation with himself and pretending it's Paulus. What a dick. Of course, he retracts his statements. Mm-hmm. She was not sold into sex slavery. Right. I can't. Finally, the event we've all been waiting for in February 2010, Paulus drops out of a heart attack while playing tennis. Hey, a lighthearted moment. <laughs> Champagne. Oh, but that's something. Finally, something funny. My Google Doc keeps underlining the phrase drop dead. And when I want to see what it corrects it to, it says died. I'm no, like, no. no. Add to dictionary. Drops dead. <laughs> Apparently, Euron blames himself, and I think that's more than fair. I think it would be very stressful to have a demon spawn. Yeah, sure. For sure. I think that's fair. Just over a month later, on March 30th, 2005, Beth Holloway's attorney, John Q. Kelly, got an email from Euron saying he has an idea and he wanted to see if John would be interested. Mm -hmm. My stomach just dropped for some reason. This is like it. I know. The email says... If you have someone come meet me in Aruba, I'll do the right thing. This situation hurts everyone involved and will continue to do so until it's over. I'll take you to Natalie, but I do not want it to be known that the information came from me. In return, I want to receive $250,000. If you're interested, I'll give you more details and we can arrange it. Again, most important for me is that it is not known after that the information came from me. Otherwise, I'll lose the last group of important people I have in my life. So if you have any idea how to best do this, please let me know. You're on. Who else would it come from? Come on. This is the first of 79 emails back, back and forth. Yeah. John's like, yes, let's keep this in writing as step number one. Yeah. Yaron wanted $25,000 cash in advance to show them where she was and then would take the rest upon recovery of the body. Mm-hmm. That, that was the plan. Now, This is called extortion. (laughs) So John immediately contacts the FBI and they're like, great, let's do this. On May 10th, 2010, John went down to Aruba and met Yaron in a hotel room where they talked for about two hours. John had $10,000 cash on him and said the rest would be wired. During that meeting, which is obviously recorded, Yaron said the night he met Natalie, they're on the beach. They got into an argument because he wanted to leave. She didn't. He threw her on the ground and she hit her head on the rock and she died on impact. I'm like, you don't fall on a rock and die on impact, but sure. He said because there was so much blood, he knew she was dead. So he and his dad buried her in a freshly poured foundation of a house under construction. After this, John called Beth to wire the remaining $15,000. And when Yaron confirmed that that went through, he drove John to the house where he said they buried her. There's a picture of him pointing out the house. Investigators pulled the permits on that house that he pointed to, and there was no foundation on the lot at the time of Natalie's disappearance. In fact, a permit was only requested on May 23rd, 2005. 
and a site inspection was done on June 15, 2005. The actual permit wasn't issued until 2010, and the contractor who built it, as well as Google Earth, confirmed all of this. Wait, oh, I thought the house was built before 2005. No, it was uh, just an empty lot. There was no freshly poured anything. Oh, okay. And therefore, they started construction well after this. They definitely would have found a body, if even if they had just buried her in the lot and they didn't put her in a foundation. Right. Four days after Uran got the money, on May 14th, he flew to Peru for a poker tournament, clearly using that $25,000 to do so. On May 17th, about a week after he got the money, Uran sent John another email. It said, Oh, this one's infuriating. Hey, after talking to my lawyer, I will, know, I will not be turning myself in. I guess they, that was the deal. Yeah, right. I did not tell you the truth, so the information you have is worthless. Check it out all you want, but it's not true. I'll be in trouble if I do tell you the truth, or worse, my family will be hurt. So I really hope this will all come to an end sooner than I think. But I also promise I'll tell you the truth if there ever if there is ever no more threat, you have my word. There's always gonna be a threat. There's no statute. There's always right. a threat, you piece of shit. Anyway. Yeah, you don't I'm get immunity. We're not playing by your rules. Yeah. Fuck off. I'm sorry for making a fool out of you if that's why you think. Why, not what? I think you're a nice man and a man of your word. I'm most definitely not. Take care, you're on. So he's saying, I lied. And Again, I was just kidding, but thank you so much for the money. And he's so proud of himself. Like, sorry if I made a fool out of you. And John's like, no, no, don't worry about that. I knew you were fucking lying the entire time. Here's what the thing is. Extortion is still illegal, you idiot. And you're brilliant enough to exchange 80 emails with me about it. So thank it's you. And I'm sorry that I'm about to make you look like a fool. Yeah, it's good. Kisses, John Q. Kelly. Um, so yeah, John, uh, I don't know if he responded, but he's like, whatever. Thanks it. for giving us extortion on a silver platter. We're good. Even though John and Beth were hopeful and confident Yaron would be arrested immediately, the FBI had to build their case and gather evidence saying that cases based on events outside the U.S. are much more complex. I'm sure they were going as fast as they could to get their ducks in a row. But had he been arrested immediately, Stephanie Flores would probably still be alive today. 100% still be alive today. On May 30th, 2005, while in Lima, Peru, Duran is seen on security footage approaching a 21-year-old college student named Stephanie Flores at the Atlantic City Casino. Stephanie was going to be a senior at the University of Lima. Her dad was a very prominent businessman, former race car driver, and former vice president of Peru. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, he was VP from 1995 to 2000. God, you're on fucks with the wrong families. I, that's what I said. And that, he should not be fucking with anyone's family. Yeah. But holy right. shit. Stephanie and Yaron play poker for about two hours, cash in their chips, and then head back to Yaron's hotel room around 5.33 a.m. At 8.36 a.m., Yaron left the hotel to get coffee and pastries. When he came back, he was locked out of his room, so he called the front desk to be let in. They let him in. This is all on security footage. Then about 20 minutes later, he leaves the hotel with his bag and he's by himself. When he walks out of the hotel, he reportedly told the front desk, don't disturb my girl. This was five years to the day that Natalie went missing. Five years to the day. Stephanie lived at home and when she didn't come home after the tournament, her dad called her friends and when they, they said they hadn't heard from her, he reported her missing. Tournament officials pulled surveillance from the casino and that's how they figured out that she met Yaron. So they track where he was staying, and two days later, hotel staff find Stephanie's body in Yaron's hotel room. Two days? Ew. Yeah. She had been badly beaten, her neck was broken, her skull fractured, and she had a brain hemorrhage. Her official cause of death was blunt force trauma to the head. There are also signs of asphyxi <laughs> asphyxiation. I'll do it. Asphyxiation. <laughs> Y'all, I'm two hours of sleep is what I'm talking about. She had been strangled. I can also say that. And the room was a tennis racket, which they believe was used as the murder weapon. Her cash, jewelry, credit cards, IDs, and car were all missing. All gone. The cash was a big one because she had won $10,000 gambling that night. Oh, wow. And it was all gone. Her car was found parked 50 blocks away from the hotel. None of her belongings were in the car, but they did find date rape drugs. In her car? Uh-huh. I imagine Yaron left the date rape drugs that he was saving for the next victim. Like uh, maybe he pulled him out of his pocket and like, and just forgot about uh, them. Yeah. I would imagine those were not Stephanie's. Yeah. 
Her dad had also given her $1,000 for a new laptop, which he said was in her car, but they never found it. So Mark, that is $11,000 that Yaron took. When they see that the hotel room where she was found was registered to Yaron, there's an international manhunt. Mm -hmm. This is where Interpol gets involved. And he dyes his hair orange. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) A Peruvian cab driver came forward and said he took Yaron to the border and Yaron walked into Chile on foot. So now they know at least he's in Chile. The hunt didn't last long. He was captured on June 3rd, 2010, when his taxi from Santiago made a stop. With him, he had a laptop, detailed charts of the ocean currents around Lima, and his bloody clothes. I mean, that same day, the U.S. finally charged him with extortion and wire fraud, the same day he was arrested for Stephanie. Hmm. Initially, he said that an armed man broke into their hotel room and killed Stephanie when she wouldn't be quiet. An armed man. She wasn't shot. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, you're on. That's a good point. (laughs) Okay, next. And then he grabbed a tennis racket for what reason? Come on. Right. Then he finally confessed. At first he said, well, confessed part A and then confession final versions coming up. At first he said he walked in and she was Googling him and he lost it. He told them he was on drugs. I think he said weed and amphetamines, which is cocaine, which in Peru gives you, again, gives you leniency if you commit a felony. If you can commit a felony while intoxicated, that can work in your favor. But you're not being yourself. You're under the influence. But they drug tested him and they're like, nah, bullshit. So he gave another story, which everyone considers to be the truth. Pretty sure it is. They released a transcript of it and it's pretty gruesome, but here we go. He said they were in his hotel room playing online poker on his computer when an instant message popped up that said, I'm going to kill you, you little mongoloid. Now, I'm only saying that word because it's part of the transcript. That is a disgusting, terrible word, horribly offensive. Everyone remove it. If you sent that message, remove that from your vocabulary. But you can tell you're on, you're going to kill him. I guess Stephanie was like, what the hell is this about? And Yaron told her it was probably in connection to Natalie's disappearance. And she was like, she put it together and was like, oh my God, you're that guy. And she freaked out. The rest are quotes. She struck me on the left side of my head with her fist. I hit her hard with my right elbow and I think her head went back and hit the wall. Then she begins to bleed. Immediately, I got on top of her with both hands, begin to strangle her, keeping her that way for a minute. After that, I throw her on the floor, but she keeps breathing. At that moment, I take off my shirt and put it in her face, pressing on it. I don't remember for how long, but she stops breathing. And this way, I think I caused her death. He went on to say that he had about 10 whiskey drinks that night. He was wasted. It was completely impulsive. But after he hit her, he was scared she'd go to the police. So he had to kill her. So that morning when he's caught on surveillance leaving to get coffee and pastries, he had already beaten her to death. He goes in there and eats breakfast with her in there. Disgusting. That is repulsive. And he had two coffees. I'm like, what? Sorry. What was your plan? He had what? Two coffees. I mean, maybe he just wanted to, but I'm like, were you going to stage it like this had happened this morning? And you had, I don't know, you were bringing her breakfast. It's very weird. Yeah. Cause he couldn't have thought he was going to get away with this. It's registered to your name. Sure. He did. I'm sure he did actually. Yeah. There's nothing I can't do. I got away with murder before when I was the last person to seen, be seen with Natalie. I know. And the then last I think person like, to be seen with Stephanie. What's the difference? And then maybe he was like, oh, shit, we're in Peru, not Aruba. Right. During the interrogation, he said he'd tell exactly where Natalie was buried in exchange for being transferred to Aruba. But he'd only talk to Aruban <laughs> authorities. They're like, shut up. You Again, this is where your loss of credibility doesn't work in your favor. Boy, Sorry. who cried wolf. Had you been saving this the whole time and stopped stri- stringing people along the, for years? Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe this had some pull, but you've lied 1400 times about where natalie is at this point we don't care but none of that matters because unfortunately for him peru and the netherlands don't have a transfer treaty or extradition Mm -hmm. treaty yeah so prisoners won't be transferred between them so peru's like nah you'll stay here and i bet a reuben authorities at this point like yeah come here you little shit dad's dead daddy can't save you you have no pull on this island I know, but still the prison system in Peru is probably much worse than Aruba. Oh, yeah, for sure. Or wherever you'd go. I will will say, I 
I'm glad he's in one of the toughest prisons in the world. But I think if we were ever actually going to get the truth, this would have been it. Because he was very scared of the prison in Peru. Very. He should be. Castro, Castro prison, right? Is where he yeah. started. Yeah. yeah. That's where he started. You're yeah. on. Of course, retract his confession saying he was tricked and confused because they were speaking Spanish. He didn't know what he was saying. His <laughs> lawyer filed a motion to have the confession thrown out. And the judge was like, no, no. He had a state-appointed attorney and Dutch translator from the Dutch embassy there before he confessed. So, no, no, no. There was no confusion. Right. The Dutch embassy sent someone over for him. Like, sorry. <laughs> like, One no. Week later, he, again, thinks they're just going to take his word over anyone's. Such a little punk. And what confused you to the point that you told that story? The story I just told, what were you, what do you think they asked you? Right. Yeah. That was quite the tale. Right. What do you think the question was? Didn't he also pose her in a very graphic and disgusting way and try to like stuff her in a suitcase? Well, I want to touch on that. That's what I remember too. She was posed in a very sexually graphic way. That still may be true. That is nowhere in the media anymore. Not Wikipedia. I Googled like posed. I'm wondering if maybe because that's such a morbid, disgusting detail and her dad's the, you know, former vice president of the country. He was like, please remove that from everything. Nothing says retracted. Nothing says I couldn't find it anywhere. Isn't that weird? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I thought that that's what happened based on what I thought was an interview with her dad. Um, maybe I'm wrong about that, but I do. Yeah, I remember that. I mean, like it, he's like. This isn't even a crime of passion anymore. You are demented. You're, I don't know. Yeah. One week later, his attorney quit saying he was causing him too many problems. Mm -hmm. He had received a bunch of threats for taking this case. Plus, the Vandersloots couldn't afford them. So he was like, good luck. Yeah, I can't deal with this. You're a piece I gotta of go. Yeah. A life sentence in Peru is very rare. Mm -hmm. And they got rid of the death penalty. But because of Stephanie's murder, the president of Peru sought to get the death penalty reinstated. Wow. Like, we got to do it for this. That didn't happen. Let's kill this guy. I know. It didn't happen. But Yaron pleaded guilty and he was sentenced to 28 years in prison for her murder. Mm -hmm. And that is where we're going to leave it today. Next week is going to be the final part of this series. Yeah, it's going to be a big one, too, because the bomb drops are still not over. The twist and turns, and it's excruciating. It really is. And how is how many people have been killed in association with this case? How is Euron not one of them? Let's be honest. My God. I don't know. Well, at this point, he's very protected by prison. Yeah. Well, someone could beat the shit out of him in prison. Yeah, Jeffrey Dahmer. Come on. There's tons of people who are beaten to death in prison. That's true. Well, that would be a happy ending, but we have one more part. <laughs> we have one more part. So join us next week for the final part of the Natalie Holloway series. Thank y'all. Thanks.